Hello, and welcome to Beyond Lithium, the podcast that looks at the future of clean energy storage beyond the third element. I'm your host, Nate Kirchhofer. For today's discussion, I'm joined by James Werby, founder and CEO of Wayside Energy, a company that, in its own words, is creating a future to look forward to, starting with a new approach to energy storage based on novel sodium ion cells. James, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So to guide our discussion today, I want to highlight a few key statements from your website, which I thought was very informative. You wrote, we recognize that our transition to renewable energy was on the verge of failure due to inadequate battery storage technology. So Wayside is focused on hyperscalability and safety, and we are currently developing a modular unibody battery pack using immersion cooling technology and novel sodium ion cells to solve this issue. And you also say some things about your design philosophy being focused on the pillars of safety and reliability, sustainability, right. and scale. So I want to start with that first statement about inadequate battery storage taking to the renewable transition to the verge of failure. Can you elaborate a bit on what is or was inadequate and kind of what's at stake with renewable energy? So I could kind of look at the inadequacy in two regards. One is the engineering side, right? That's something that we can talk at length about. But I think there's also a, a deeper sociological issue that we've come to with, um, you know, this phrase NIMBY gets thrown around a lot, not in my backyard. It's a lot of bad press around energy storage and the actual outreach that companies have in the clean tech space um, has been fairly inadequate in terms of showing the safety, reliability, the benefits of energy storage. Um, and all we see is just a bad press of, oh, another Tesla mega pack caught fire. Oh, like this, this is wrong. That's wrong. Um, cause that, that's what the news cycle is sort of been about, but looking at it from a sociological issue, we need a lot more community development in terms of people's ownership and recognition over what the clean energy transition is going to be. We need these stakeholders to understand what the, it's almost like they're dragging their feet. They're like, well, it's all, it's all here. It's all okay. The storage tech is like is okay you know it might blow up but whatever it's actually probably really relevant for you to be on this show because one of my goals with hosting this podcast is to spread the good word right like we want mm -hmm. renewable energy to be something that people are excited about because it's going to transform our society right it's a new industrial revolution and part no, of that exactly. is safety part of that is the bankability of these batteries and people understanding how they fit into the larger techno economic landscape in our society. It's, it's I, been I a am fun a little, journey. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just in, kind of interacting and explaining to people because, you know, you've a, a cousin or an uncle or a friend who's just like, hey, like, what, what have you been working on, James? Or probably, hey, what have you been working on, Nate? And you're like, okay. So it's, it's like big storage, right? Like, picture a, a battery, like it holds power, but it's like a, for a city. And they're like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's interesting. Like, what, how do you, how does this all work? So it's not even in the, the, the lexicon, like commercial energy storage, grid scale energy storage isn't yet a piece of the puzzle, but you know, the grid as a concept is something that people are familiar with. So it's like, what's the, what's the next evolution of that? How do we interpret that for society? Yeah. And I, I'm glad to have you here to help develop that lexicon. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you could briefly talk about some of the engineering inadequacies you know, because that was the other, you said the sociological side, but there's also. Absolutely. Yeah, it really, it really comes down to safety and scalability. Right now, a lot of 
there's, there's a lot of safety concerns, especially with battery energy storage. Flow batteries are on the horizon, um, but we're not quite to the you know gigawatt hour scale that we're going to need to actually make them a a relevant piece of the market yet. Still a few years out, but in terms of even just battery storage, what pieces do we have in place right now? We're in the near term, you know, two three years. There could be a huge shift in how those are deployed. Sa I mean, safety and, and scalability is the big one right now. Tesla's the leader. They, there's still some safety concerns. There's still some concerns along the lines of reliability because they're just using car recycled car components. All of the stuff that they're producing was not engineered to be sat in a box for 30 years. Their stuff was designed to be put underneath a car and driven around for, you know, on the top end, a million miles, which when you're cycling a battery like that is really only probably 3,000 cycles to the tune, to the tune of 3,000 cycles. And we're looking minimum for one of these batteries to be viable, to be cycled, you know, close to 10,000 times. And there's ways to push battery cells to that 10,000 plus mark, but it requires different engineering that isn't necessarily cost effective for automobiles, that isn't necessarily um, weight effective for automobiles. So Tesla doesn't do it. It's not their MO, which is fine. Like, they're doing their thing. They're helping with the transition in one way, but I feel like the mega pack project that Tesla has been doing is really just going to be a stepping stone to get proper battery energy storage for your sub four hour systems. And for those who, those are the listeners who don't know, um, you kind of talk about energy storage systems in terms of what they're designed to be discharged over the course of. So a one hour system is designed to have all the capacity of that system to be discharged over the course of one single hour. Um, and battery storage systems are pretty good at that mark of around one hour to about four hours. And after that, it's like there's other systems that are a little more efficient for those types of discharge periods. But what Tesla is doing isn't optimal. And we need to take a handful of different approaches in terms of how we scale, how we manufacture, and how we um, deal with, with safety and longevity for these systems because it's not a car it's a <laughs> it's, it's a city energy storage system it's a city yeah. Yeah, yeah cities aren't cars it'd be cool if they were like <laughs> like a, like a mega yacht or something there you go. Yeah. might might have that on the horizon now that's right well the planet is city. sort of a sort of a ship flying through space we can think of it maybe that way yeah there we go and so you touched on a couple different things safety reliability um yeah. scaling the fourth thing that you mentioned on your website is sustainability and like each of these terms has quite a bit packed into it and so i have i've sort of like two follow-up questions for it so right you mentioned a couple of things about how like tesla is missing the mark a little bit i'm curious um you know there's other ways that certain energy storage technologies are missing the mark for different markets you know like we're trying to we're trying to silo you know these lightweight batteries into mobile applications and we want longer duration discharge, like flow batteries, whatever, for this medium to long duration, which is like the, the grid backup. There's also mm -hmm. seasonal energy storage stuff. And each of them kind of have their niche and different engineering constraints. But right. I think my, my first question is, how do we make energy storage smarter? So that's a really, really good one and a piece of the puzzle that people are looking at enough right now. Um, and it's something that I'm on the on the down low working on right now in terms of creating a, a protocol for basically everything utility related to talk to each other. So I think that's going to be the future because we're looking at 
right? The, the 2020s, it's the, it's the decade of the smart home. You know, your lights are gonna talk to your power meter. So on the, on the micro side, your home is gonna be able to communicate at an intranet to all the different components within. But I see, you know, as we move to renewables, as we move to elements of the grid that are quote unquote smart, that have um, more, more levers and, and stuff for us to pull remotely, I see a system, an, an open source protocol that would allow battery storage to talk to flow batteries, to talk to a wind farm, to talk to a solar farm, that talks to a grid operating station, that talks to down to the point of everybody will probably have smart meters in their home. So then each individual home can talk to the grid on the order of milliseconds where it's like, oh, well, everybody on this block just turned their AC on, like get ready to discharge more power from the storage. Like there is a huge opportunity for that to happen and it's gonna make the grid orders of magnitude more efficient. And I see that as kind of the biggest hurdle once we get all these things in place, cause it's, it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing, right? You're not gonna invest millions of dollars in R and D to create an open source protocol and get Tesla and, and LEDWP and PG and E on board to be a part of this and support the standard until all the pieces are in place. So it's definitely going to come later, but something that I'm actively working on. And the second that either another governing body proposes this, or I inevitably go out and propose this idea, something that I'm going to have a lot of insight and data on. Yeah, it sounds like an essential piece. And, you know, it's kind of, it makes me think of like the internet of things, which has been sort of talked about for a while, yeah. but we actually are getting to the point where we have so many different little devices and interactive things that are all powered, right? And they all need electricity in some way. So having them talk right. to each other makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and it's all just nodes on a network, man. Like it's- Exactly, exactly. Big, small, everything. Like I think the smart home IoT conversation is the perfect stepping stone for what the smart cities and smart mm -hmm. counties of the future are going to be where it's all all connected all interacting yeah i think that's a, yeah that's an awesome point point. and so my second question about this sort of like this making the grid smarter but improving safety and reliability sustainability and scaling yeah. how do you think public policy so for example the inflation reduction act is helping with those concepts yeah, so you got a couple different things going on here. So the IRA did a lot on the manufacturing side and did a lot on the consumer side or the customer side, I'll call it. So on the manufacturing side, we're getting a lot of tax credits for building battery packs. I think it's $10 per kilowatt hour deployed on the pack level. You know, on the cell level, I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $30, $35 per kilowatt hour for cells. So that's just going to help drive costs down. And even that, even if that doesn't like trickle down, quote unquote, what it's going to do is it's going to incentivize a lot more domestic capacity to build these systems. And then on the customer side, we're seeing a lot of, I, I would call it a full stack type of incentive system where it's, we, we're going to give you $1,000 per kilowatt hour if you're in a critical piece of infrastructure in a low income area, like they're setting up a lot of different standards to put these pieces of the puzzle in fantastic places to start. And so in California, we have something called the Self-Generation Incentive Program. And yeah, that's for the top the top dog uh, incentive structure there. It's about $1,000 per kilowatt hour of storage deployed uh, in a high fire risk area or low income 
uh, at-risk community. And so that's paid for. Like in terms of what a, a larger utility scale deployment for pieces of critical infrastructure are, $1,000 per kilowatt hour takes care of it, uh, especially considering some of the innovations that we're making at Wayside in terms of making packs more cost effective. That's, that's it. So our start game, which is also kind of the end game for that type of a program, is to just start deploying these packs in places that really need it. And that kind of bakes into our mission. Like we, we want to create this awesome future and the state of california is paying to have these energy storage systems put into places where we know are, are going to do some good and actually create that excitement create that uh that level of ownership and create that vision for an individual person saying oh i, I can see the light now i can see where we're going uh, and i think that's really meaningful those are kind of the two ends the department of energy's loan program office is doing some incredible work on the commercialization side so they're giving out very large loans for these projects just to get them all ramped up fairly low interest rates above current federal interest rate yeah i think those are kind of the two sides is, is what are the manufacturers getting what are the customers getting and we're seeing that for the first time i think ever uh, all lining up here for this next 2023-2024 push yeah and I think that's a really, I want our listeners and I want people to know that like renewable energy is coming, right? Hop on board, right? But I think yeah. the the coolest thing about all this is that, you know, for a lot of hardware or like deep tech stuff, like what you and I are working on, there's a big activation barrier to get it into the market, right? It's not like right. software where you can spin up a prototype in an afternoon or a weekend or something like building batteries is really hard. Bu integrating devices with a larger scale grid is really right. hard we have to coordinate with policymakers. there's a ton of, and, and there's a ton of um like permitting and all sorts of things that go into this and so having that financial incentive provided by the government just lowers that activation barrier and allows us to integrate it into society which we urgently need as we know because climate change is happening so i i just think that's a really great way of putting it i don't know if i've heard someone else say it quite that way but it lets people see the light yeah it's this um this idea and the, the reason that the company is called wayside is it was this concept of like we're all on this road and we're setting our goals on kind of on the horizon and it's just this the logo is a road that kind of goes off off forever and and the only way that we can kind of understand uh, our goals and where we're going and what's guiding us is to kind of look at the sides of the road and how everything is kind of swaying and moving and that's what what the waysides are i love it yeah. So let's, that's a perfect segue. Let's dive into Wayside a little bit. You, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but tell our listeners, what is a unibody battery pack? What is immersion cooling technology? Share a little bit about your sodium ion cells. I definitely want to start with the immersion cooling because I think that's going to be easiest to grasp and kind of also the most fun. Um, so immersion cooling is essentially, if you think of the word immersion, immersed, it's a cooling technology where you use a liquid, a coolant, that's dielectric, which means it doesn't conduct electricity. And what that results in is you can submerge electronic components in what essentially is like a fish tank kind of thing, an enclosed system that's just filled with the coolant. The actual sub component in our batteries, we, we affectionately call the fish tank. So all of the cells are immersed in a coolant, uh, which helps a lot with the thermals. So we can keep a very narrow 
window of thermals. So we can keep them right around 25 degrees Celsius, which is going to extend the cycle life tremendously, uh, as opposed to packs that might be designed for cars that don't need to go that far and have cooling systems that are designed just, just so that you can keep the car going and keep the car safe, because it also needs to be very light. But this doesn't necessarily have to be light, so we're using a lot more coolant, and it's all submerged. Uh, our first units that we're showing to investors and customers and stuff, we made out of acrylic. So you can see straight through like it is a fish tank, and it's just a bunch of wires and cells and components that are in, in a liquid and it's pretty trippy. I'm not gonna lie, like it's, it's a fun site. And this is something that has trickled down a lot from the data center space. I think a lot of data centers use immersion cooling to save on their electricity costs, save on their cooling costs because it's so much more efficient and it's a lot safer, which kind of moves into this next piece of immersion cooling, uh, which is the safety aspect. It's very difficult to have a bunch of components short circuit, spark, catch fire, when they're underneath a fluid that can't catch fire. <laughs> we can do puncture tests, we can, we can butcher some of the components in there, and as long as they're underneath this liquid, there's no concerns of fire, there's no concerns of sparking, none of that. It is almost entirely biodegradable, which kind of goes on the sustainability part. You shoot this with a, a sniper rifle and there's a hole straight through it, nothing's gonna explode, everything that leaks out can leach in the groundwater and biodegrade. Uh, so it's a lot, lot easier on the environment that way. Not to say that you should just go and start drinking coolant, but in terms of its, its breakdown cycle, far better than using like ethyl glycol and everything else that's just kind of the industry standard. Um, and then the other piece of the secret sauce is how are we packaging these cells to be used in immersion cooling, which goes in kind of the unibody uh, cell to pack system. Most people are calling it cell to pack, but I'm calling it unibody because the actual structure, because everything has to be spaced out. A lot of other companies that are doing quote unquote cell to pack technology are just, you know, you put the cells directly in one larger case uh, as opposed to creating sub modules that are then linked together. It's a lot more space efficient, but what we're doing is very similar. But for immersion cooling, you have to have gaps in space for everything to, to get through all the nooks and crannies for the coolant to actually cover. So we've developed a system that can be injection molded in one single piece that would then hold all of these cells separately, hold all of the wiring componentry in one place, and then we just drop it right into the fish tank, seal the top, fill it with coolant, and we send it out. So it's a lot more efficient in terms of reducing the component counts, reducing the pricing, and then also incorporating this super incredible cooling system yeah it's good to get a little bit of perspective on it because just to like follow up on this cooling thing a lot of people don't know that necessarily but lithium-ion batteries and sodium-ion batteries a lot of these batteries require a very narrow temperature range where the battery can mm -hmm. operate and if you go beyond that you risk fire or you risk basically damaging the battery so that it doesn't last as long or it stops being able to discharge and right. so that's a really important aspect of making these batteries last a long time and function properly so mm -hmm. This is a cool innovation because it, it's solving that problem in a really sort of simple and elegant way. And it's also self-aware in the sense that battery doesn't need to be lightweight because you're not targeting targeting the, the mobile applications with it. So yeah, exactly. It's a similar concept to these flow batteries that I work on, but 
yeah, it's really it's really cool to hear a little bit more about the the technology. It's awesome to hear that it's biodegradable. That makes everything more sustainable. Yeah, I'm right. curious if if so. I don't want to talk too much longer, but I'm curious if you have any like final comments for battery developers or energy storage developers um, as you progress and you know sort of a, a vision for the future. I think, or what I I, I will say is I I know that the future is going to be bright and the future is going to be super exciting. And I know that the first steps to getting there are definitely more on the, along the lines of what you're doing right now, along the lines of creating community and creating that type of outreach for, for customers, for developers. Cause right now it's really just about how do we snowball this? Cause it's like we have, we have a snowball right now, right? We just have to understand, Oh, we're, we need to drop it on some fresh powder. We need to get the, like, we need to get a bunch of stuff to stick to it. And it's just a matter of make, ensuring that folks who can get benefit from it understand what their benefits are, understand um, the technology more, and can get these implemented and, and actually have access to capital that pushes this forward. So that's kind of the big piece of this puzzle right now is how do we build community? How do we empower community? How do we empower people to get trained to be a part of this next generation of the workforce? There's so many different pieces and engineering is just part of it. And if you use engineering and community as, as tools and not just a means to, you know, just chug through chug through VC money, there's actual good that can come from it. And I'm and I'm really excited for that future. And I'm really excited for what the future product lines and programs at Wayside are gonna be and for, for Biozen. So awesome. So if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you about anything related to what you just said. How would they do that? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's just James Werby, or you can send me an email, james at waysideenergy.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for the discussion, James. It's been great to have you. We'll catch you soon. Let's power on. And thanks to you for tuning in. Again, I'm Nate Kirchhofer, co-founder and CEO of Biozen Batteries, which produces this show. My guest has been James Werby, founder and CEO of Wayside Energy. If you'd like to interact more, you can send an email to hello at biozenbatteries.com or leave a voice message with the link below the episode on the hosting site. As always, many thanks to Curtis Warden for the great theme music and Abe Mesrich for the helping with all the little things behind the scenes. Be sure to join us next time on the Beyond Lithium podcast. <laughs>